Let's talk about stories. We all love stories. Stories make us laugh, they make us cry, they can challenge and inspire us. But most of all, stories are one of the best ways to learn. The stories we will share are true stories of God's rescue and redemption, shared by the people who have lived them. People just like you and me, grateful and undeserving characters in God's big story. Welcome to Life Stories. Hey everyone, and welcome to Life Stories, part of the Soul Care Matters podcast. This is our first episode, and I'm really excited. I've got Evan from Indianapolis, Indiana here with me today to share his story. Welcome, Evan. Hey, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be able to share my story with you today. My name's Evan, and um, as Ryan said, I'm from Indianapolis, but actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that. I'm actually from small town Iowa is where I was born and raised, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to get to share my story today. And really, um, my my story is one that has a consistent struggle with self-idolatry. Is what I call it, or idolatry of self. You know that that worship of me, which is just misplaced worship in our humanity, which is supposed to be worship of God. As I look back on my life and as I'm thinking about how to share my story, I really see this common struggle just all throughout. I mean, it continues to pop up even now, even after knowing Jesus for over a decade. Um, it's just, it's something, it's a thorn in the flesh, so to speak, which the Lord continues to work out in my life. And I'm grateful for his work in it. I guess where I could start is just start at the beginning. I, um, I often say around here when I introduce myself, I was born and raised in small town, Iowa, uh, grew up in a rural community. I was actually, I was actually born in a bigger town, uh, called Dubuque, Iowa. It was 30 minutes away. They had a, they had a better hospital. Uh, and, uh, and I was raised in a small town of about five to 6,000 people. It's called Makokita, Iowa, uh, on the far Eastern side of Iowa. And, um, I, I'll challenge you to try and spell that. Uh, you can, you can look it up. I, I won't even, won't even spell it out for you, but anyways, grew up in a, in small town, Iowa, just really enjoyed my upbringing. I was born in a, a Christian home. My mom has been a devout believer for decades, grew up in the church and that's uh, where she met my dad. And uh, my uh, my parents just they raised us in church, and it was something that was really important. And uh, I got to see their faith lived out. And actually, part of my story is that I had a mom who was a devout believer, and um, and a dad who really supported her in that. Uh, fast forward a little bit, my dad actually came to Christ when I was a either a junior or a senior when I was at Moody in college, and it was a really really cool part of my life. But anyways, I had one older brother, and uh, I now have two younger adopted siblings. But I grew up with an older brother, and uh, him and I were <laughs> I probably shouldn't say forced, but we were forced to go to church with mom. Dad worked on the weekends, extremely hard worker. He worked Saturday and Sunday, had a second job that he'd work on the weekends. But even though Dad wasn't going to church with us my entire childhood until I was a senior in high school, where we were going on Sunday mornings was to church with my mom. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. My dad really supported that. So they, they met in the church. And then after they got married, before, before my brother and I came around, my dad was really hurt by the church a couple of different times and just just decided to walk away. And, um, and that was a big part of my, big part of my story growing up, just kind of watching both of them and how they interacted and how dad would not ever badmouth or say anything bad about the church, but always supported my brother and I going. So it was different. You don't hear that a lot. Thankfully, the Lord really got a hold of his heart when I was at, when I was at Moody. And, um, but anyways, so grew up in church, uh, went to a small assemblies of God church in my hometown 
and um, got my teeth kind of hooked into call it Christianity at that point. Just as a kid, uh, I really had a strong desire for morals, and I saw like the church really has that. And uh, I, my my class, uh, my class was the largest one to ever go through our school district. Uh, I think when we were done, maybe 150, 160 kids. And I had a nickname right away because they knew I was a Christian because I went to I went to church and because I, I corrected people and corrected my friends in second, third, fourth, fifth grade. And whenever they'd say God, I'd be like, Hey, you, you can't say that. You know, don't don't use the Lord's name in vain. And and that that was one of the things that I I gravitated to. And I soon got a nickname called Bible Boy or Churchy, um, and that is honestly what I was known for. And, um, and by the time I got into eighth grade, having that nickname, I started realizing that, wow, I can either love this person named Jesus and hold his moral statutes and be a loser with my friends is how it felt. Or um, I could choose to really care more about people and be popular or have people like me. And that's really when I think we're, we're I think all of us struggle with self idolatry starting at infant age. I mean, I have a two year old, and, and the word mine is very is very evident. Uh, and I'm sure I was the same way. But when I was in when I was in middle school, I really realized like, okay, I can either live my my life for myself, or I can live it for this person named Jesus. And this person named Jesus, just from what I'm hearing on Sunday mornings, sounds really really boring and really rigid. And I look back at, at elementary school and in early parts of middle school, and it's like, you know, I think living for myself is a lot easier, looks a lot more fun. And uh, at that point in my life, I was I was growing in um, in a music talent and ability in a small town. It's easy to kind of stand out with certain things. And I grew up singing with my parents. We'd sing in church in churches all around our our county, we had the Collister family singers where my grandma and my aunt and my uncle and my mom and my dad, uh, we would travel around to churches singing old Gaither songs together. And it's a vibrant part of my childhood. I, I do remember loving that and growing in my affection for music really easily and really naturally. And I watched my parents sing at weddings when I was a kid. And um, I loved music. It was a way to connect with my family. And um, around eighth grade, I had been in several honor choirs at that point, uh, and I kind of realized, like, oh, okay, like, I'm good at this, and I can get attention from this, and people are going to like me if I keep doing this. And that just sounded a whole lot better. Like, make it about me. Like, when people are clapping, even in a church setting, for me, it was really easy to just eat that up and to say, man, this really, really feels good. People's praise and attention really feels good. So made that decision in eighth grade, like life's better if it's just about me. In my freshman year, uh, I really had more opportunities to grow in music and theater kind of popped in. And um, I remember the nights of the curtain calls, all the practice, all the hard work we put into it. The night of the curtain call, it was just extraordinary. I'd never experienced that before. And that's when the addiction to worship of self really just kicked in. I just started to get a really big ego. And I thought, man, if I could have people complimenting me all the time. And I worked at the grocery store in town and people People would see me and they'd pat me on the back. I thought, man, this is really nice. I like this a lot. I like I like people's attention and their praise. Between junior and senior year, I was Ren and Footloose, and then I'd just been Danny. A month, two months later, I get cast as as Kevin Bacon's role in Footloose. We do the community theater musical, and I spent my entire I mean my entire summer focused on that musical. We we practice every single night for multiple hours, and I was just 
gone for the the curtain call. At the end of the show, we had three shows that weekend. It was, it was in August, early August. I remember when the curtain call, the final one, Sunday afternoon at the matinee was over. And I just slumped into an immediate depression. I went to the cast party that night. I mean, it was immediate. I just felt like I was, I spent the whole summer really looking at myself, wanting to be cool, wanting to be great, wanting people's praise. And then it was over just like that. It was just over. And I thought, wow, I've burned through friendships. I've, I've burned through relationships in my own family thinking I was a pretty big deal and now it's all over and now I got to start all over again. I've got to earn people's affection and their love again somehow. And I, I kind of needed it. And the, the cast party that night, just through a number of events that happened that evening, I just came to the conclusion. I remember it was probably two or three in the morning. I had gotten home, cast party was over. And I just remember thinking, wow, if life is about me, which I've spent the last several years pursuing, if life is only about me, it is worthless. It's like if I have to gain and, and, and really run after people's affections, this is really hard. And as a young, just turned 17 year old man, I just, young man, I didn't know what to do. I didn't. My, my parents saw it. I had a, I had a, I'd broken up with an individual that summer. So it just felt really empty, really lonely. And that's when a friend of mine that I grew up with, her name was Amanda, that grew up with me at the AG church. And then that church closed actually when I was eight, around eight or nine. And we went to a Baptist church in my hometown. And there was another cooler church in town. Amanda kept asking me for months, Evan, would you just come with me once? Come over to youth group. Enjoy it. Like, I know I'm breaking the rules sort of thing going to this church, but it's amazing. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing great preaching. I'll go one time and that's it and it's over. So I did. I showed up the first couple weeks of the school year, showed up one night. I walked in the door and there was a youth pastor. His name was Benjamin. And I'd seen him around high school before. He'd come in to have meals with kids and hang out. And um, he looked at me and he said, Mr. Collister, I'd never met him. And he said, Mr. Collister, I'm really excited you're here. We've been hoping you'd join us. Now uh, go downstairs and play, play some dodgeball. And I was like, I've never interacted with you before. You know my name. And there's something different about you. He had just this joy. And then he preached every Wednesday night to the to the youth group, probably 20, 30 of us in, in a room. And I remember that next three to four months hearing about Jesus, this man who gave himself for me and loved me, not because of what I did, but just because of who he was. This guy that I didn't have to gain an affection for. I didn't have to earn his love. And actually I couldn't. And I heard the gospel for the first time that wasn't, and and this was my own issues. I, I saw it as moralism and legalism when I was growing up. I didn't realize it was a relationship with the God of all the universe. And Benjamin showed that to me. So long story short, I get, I didn't even realize I got saved. I just thought, uh, like, oh, okay, so this is Jesus. I didn't even realize I wasn't saved until sometime in a moody. I got accepted in my freshman year. The Lord really let me know, not through an audible voice or anything like that, but just through a very a, a serious series of events said, Evan, I want you. And he just crushed me in that first semester. I got into Moody to be a, a I was a tenor one and uh, I, I got in because of their music program. I auditioned, I was going to be in the, the vocal performance program. That was my major. And the Lord just said, no, like I don't make deals. You you honor what I have for you. And uh, I, that uh, end of the first semester switched over into their preaching major and life was great from there. Uh, it was really, Moody was a dark spot. I was, I was the only person there for the first few months. It was really hard. I cried every morning in the shower. It didn't know anybody. Nobody from my hometown went there. I'd never had to make friends before. And then all this struggle with my major, um, which everything was going fine. It's just, I knew I had this internal struggle that I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And the Lord made it really clear. He said, you're not going to worship yourself, Evan. You're going 
going to worship me. And part of that is obedience to what I have. So, so yeah, Moody was an incredible ground. I was a young believer. The Lord did some amazing things there when I surrendered to him and stopped worshiping me. I still still struggle with that throughout throughout the rest of my life. So that was 10 years ago now. I graduated Moody in 2014, started there in 2010. After Moody, long story short, to give you my story, after Moody, my senior year, uh, my that small Baptist church that my family ended up going to, their pastor was retiring and they reached out to me in, in April-ish of my senior year and said, hey, we're just looking for somebody to come and, and preach for us and kind of fill the pulpit for a year so we can find a, a new lead pastor. Would you be willing to do that? And uh, I was engaged to my beautiful bride uh, now, beautiful bride Elaney at the time. And uh, we prayed about it and said, yeah, we could take a gap year between Bible college and going to seminary and uh, let's help them out. Let's let's do this. So senior year, graduated in May, started the position as the transitional pastor at this Baptist church in my hometown uh, in June and got married in August, uh, realized really quickly that ministry was hard. Moody taught me how to be a preacher. Uh, my major did, and I didn't realize that working with people was going to be hard and that I had this. So part of my self-idolatry is this desire to always be right, desire to reform things or make them as pure as they possibly can be. And with that, with that self-worship that I had came this desire for everything to be either right or wrong. It's just, I looked at the world very simply. It's either right or it's wrong. That's it. When I got into marriage and when I got into ministry, I realized that life wasn't as yes or no, right and wrong, as black or white. And there's actually a lot of gray in the middle. And I didn't know that. So I was struggling. It was a, it was a, a hard year. There was a lot of, a lot of issues at the church that I saw. It's easy. I know a pastor who says, you know, young, young pastors can easily see heresy, but they don't know how to fix it. And uh, that was, I, I heard that a couple of years ago, five years after being at that, at the church for a year. And it's like, wow, you pegged me five years ago with that statement of, yeah, I saw a lot of things that were wrong. I saw a lot of biblical uh, or unbiblical ideology that's affecting this small, small church, but I didn't know how to be compassionate amidst that because I wanted what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted people to look at me and see like, look at this successful pastor. And I didn't realize how to care for people really well. So I put them through a lot of hurt. This small church of 40 or so on a Sunday morning. And, and I experienced a lot of hurt. I look back now and realize a lot of it was my fault. Did all of us have fault? Yeah. But because I wanted it to be about me and because I didn't know how to care for people really well, and I could only see things as right or wrong, I I really did some hurt to people. It's that self-worship and that desire to be kind of the governor for yes and no, right and wrong. So we go into, we were there for a year, went to Trinity. My wife and I did um, in August, went to seminary. And um, that was a real healing ground where I had to realize I needed to learn how to care for people. And I was really hoping seminary plus, you know, internships and then my next job would show me how to do that. Ran into some more bumps of self-idolatry, that right and wrong piece in my marriage. My wife is the most gracious person I've ever met in my life. Uh, Ryan, you know that. Uh, You you know my wife uh, well. And I made a deal with Eleni before we went to Trinity. I said, I need to go into counseling here. I need to get some biblical counseling. There's just something wrong. Why can't I just accept like, hey, honey, you do things one way and I do things the other. I could not accept that because I was really what I wanted in life was peace. That's the, that's that worship part again. I wanted my peace. I wanted my security. And one day we'd come home, we were six months into Trinity and I hadn't upheld my end of the bargain yet to, to apply for counseling. And Trinity has a great counseling program. And, uh, we got home from visiting some family in Iowa and we had stopped at a Walmart along the way. And we were, we were living paycheck to paycheck. And, uh, 
we had bought a two pack of toothpaste and that's stretching the budget. I mean, we were really, we were, we were both working part-time jobs. And at that point, my wife wasn't in school just yet. She, she went back to finish up the second year, but that first year she was putting me through school. We were living on a tight budget. It was expensive to live uh, near Deerfield, Illinois. And uh, we bought in a two pack of toothpaste and somewhere between the car and getting up to our apartment, it had disappeared. I was really upset. I don't do anything wrong. I am perfect is what's going on. That narrative I tell myself and I couldn't do anything wrong. And if I did, I would feel really miserable. So I blamed everything on my wife. And a lot of it wasn't even just the the pointed, like you did this, you lost this. A lot of it was passive aggressivism, small comments here and there. And my wife's a super gracious individual and she would just let them slide. And in a few, it was probably 10 days later, we had gotten in several arguments about the toothpaste, like where are we going to find it in the budget? And it was a Sunday and I think it was either a Sunday or a Saturday. It was in the weekend. My wife and I got, I got in a small argument. I blamed her for something again. And I needed to go into my closet to grab a shirt and I pulled the hanger down and it was a shirt that I had taken to see family when we went to Iowa and around the hanger was a Walmart bag. My shirt around the hanger was a Walmart bag. Inside the shirt was two tubes of toothpaste. And I, right there in a small closet, uh, in our one bedroom apartment, I just cracked I sat down and just wept because I realized for the first time I'm putting my wife through who's amazing through all this stress and all this blame because I can't accept the fact that I could be imperfect. If I just followed the Bible, I could be perfect is what I thought. It didn't have anything to do with Jesus and had everything to do with me and what I wanted and what I saw was best. And I was taking that out on my wife. And she said, she, you know what she did? She came and she sat with me and she just hugged me and let me weep. Didn't deserve any of it. And we said, okay, it's time that I apply for some counseling. There's stuff going on here. And for the next two years at Trinity, I received counseling to see that life wasn't right or wrong and that life wasn't about me and that my love of Jesus wasn't equated with the hard work or effort that I put in, but it was equated with his grace and his mercy And if I could see that all of life wasn't right or wrong, yes or no, so rigid, and I could see that there was gray area in grace, if I could accept that for myself, I could accept that and extend that to other people. Because Ryan, you've told me this a number of times. You've worked with me on this as well. It's still here three, five years later. Um, I need checkups every once in a while, and I need to surround myself with godly men and women to, to care for me and remind me of that, and Ryan's been one of them. If I can't accept grace for myself, there's no way I'm going to give it to other people. And really what it shows is if I hold people to such a high standard, it's because I'm holding myself to an even higher standard, and I expect myself to be perfect. And if I expect myself to be perfect, I expect everyone else around me to be perfect. And to be honest, that is a really hard way to live life. And it showed that I did not understand the grace of God. I don't understand grace. And that's the first step to understanding it, I think. So all this to say, I could tell more of my story. I was a young individual who really liked worshiping himself and really thought that I'm the meaning of life. And to be honest, every day I wake up and that's still there. It's, um, (laughs) I'm an addict of wanting my own peace and my own security and my own fame and my own praise every day. When I start the day, I ask the Lord just to remind me, Lord, this day, I literally say, as, I, as my alarm's going off uh, on my watch, I have a, as it goes off, I, I tell myself, Lord, today is about you. It's not, it's not about me. Every, there are moments throughout the day where I have to continue to remind myself, this life is not about me. None of it. 
still recovering. So you might be, yeah, maybe, I don't know, Ryan, do you have any questions? Sorry, I've rambled for a long time here. (laughs) Evan, thank you for sharing your story with us. I do know you pretty well. Um, I've had the privilege to walk through some of this journey with you, and it has been really exciting to me to see God change you, even in the short time that I've known you. And you're right. Your wife is pretty great. <laughs> She's so, I'll throw that out there as well. Um, now, pretty great. She's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I just have one question for you. Mm-hmm. It feels like what you kind of said without saying it is that like self-worship, pride has have been themes in your life. Yeah. It's highly likely that somebody listening to this podcast right now might be in a season where that's a real struggle for them as well. What's maybe one thing that you would encourage them to do right now as they seek to do battle with the sins of self-idolatry and pride? Yeah, the word that 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 comes to my mind immediately is just surrender. Surrender to the fact that this life and everything in it is meant to be for the worship and glory of God and not yourself. It's just not. And that means you have to, the first place is just surrendering and accepting the fact that, Lord, I need you to humble me. I need you to humble me. And how how he's done that in my life, and I didn't even get to that, is there, there are men and women along the way, mainly men in my life, that have brought me to that fact because I've been in relationship with them and they can call me out and they can encourage me and they can they can be kind of a warning individual in my life of, hey, Evan, that's not okay. Yeah, What you're thinking, how you're acting, that's not okay. So it's allowing, all that to say, it's allowing the Lord to humble you and how he does that is through, it's just through surrender to him and being surrounded by him and by his people being in community. I mean, scripture does tell us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's not too many more humbling things a person can do than go to another human being and say, here's my junk. Yeah. Help me find Jesus in the middle of this. Yeah. Thank you for setting that example for us and sharing that with us today. All right, for you regular listeners, we will be back with more life stories. If you're interested in sharing your story, be sure to reach out to us on social media and we'll see you next time. Life Stories is presented by the Soul Care Matters podcast, hosted by Ryan Berg. Connect with us at CPC Soul Care Matters on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more life stories.